Let's pray, and we will get started. God, thank you, Father, for the time that we've had, God, over the past, uh, Lord, a few months, God, going through the roller coaster ride of Judges. And Father, now as we finish that up, Lord, and as we begin to look at the book of Ezekiel, God, I pray, first and foremost, Lord, that, that your word, Lord God, would go out with power. Father, that what would be spoken from this pulpit, Lord God, would be what you want spoken, God. Father, I pray, get me out of the way. And Lord, you know the fear and the trepidation, God, that so many prophetic, book bring, prophetic books bring, Lord God, but this book specifically, Lord, is just such a tough, difficult book, Father. And so we're asking you, Lord God, we're, we're beseeching you, Father. Would you speak, Lord? Would you bring clarity, God? Would you help us, Lord, to just admit the things that we just don't know, God? Um, Lord, be in the midst of this entire conversation, I pray, Lord, as we begin our way uh, through this book, Lord, and probably for the rest of this year. Who knows, God, however long this is going to take us, God. But, Lord, just be with us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So you guys, as we always do, kind of as our custom is, we're going to go tonight and just, uh, we're only going to get through f the first four verses, but I'm going to do a lot of introduction because I want us to kind of have a good kind of touch point of like, where are we in history? What's happening, right? And so as best as, as we can, we're going to try and look at some of this stuff. So first off, Ezekiel is this amazing, amazing book. He is considered one of the major prophets, and just for anybody that might not know, that doesn't mean that he was super swell and everybody liked him more than all the minor prophets. It just means that his book is pretty long. That's what it really means. It's just because it's a longer book than most of the minor prophets. Most of the minor prophets are two chapters, three chapters, just short little kind of books. But the major prophets, the major prophetic books are Isaiah, which is 66 chapters, and Jeremiah is 52 chapters. And if you slam Lamentations in there, that adds a few more, like five more, right? And then the book of Daniel's 12 chapters, which is the shortest out of the major prophets. But that's kind of one of the big reasons where the difference comes. So you, you read a lot of like the other ones later on and they're, they're just short little books. But historically, what was happening? Well, Ezekiel was exiled into the land of Babylon, just like Daniel. But what we see is that Daniel was actually already established as a leader in the actual city of Babylon, right? We're going we're gonna to read that Ezekiel wasn't right in the city of Babylon. He was out in Babylonia. He was out elsewhere, a couple hundred miles away from the city itself. And actually, Ezekiel himself mentions Daniel twice. And we'll come across those. He mentions Daniel in chapter 14, verse 14, and also chapter 28, verse 3. So it's kind of interesting because it gives us, Ezekiel does actually a great job of giving us some pretty amazing timestamps. And so it's pretty awesome because, you guys, as we know, and as we've talked about numerous times, there are definitely biblical critics that come against all these books, right? We talked about it when we were going through Isaiah, how these biblical critics looked at Isaiah and they're like, no way this was written by one guy. Right? And then we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they're like, oh man, we're burned because we found this older copy that, that makes all of our stuff we've been saying total bunk. Well, with Ezekiel, you guys, it's no different. There are actually scholars that say that, like, he had to be schizophrenic. Something was wrong with him mentally because what he says is so out there, and what he does and how he goes about it is so, like, out there. But I want to encourage you in a couple things. Number one, don't believe the lies. God wrote this from beginning to end. There's not a part in here that's just made up. There's not, right? And so what God wanted in here is in here. 
And just like Isaiah, how those, how those guys were proven wrong, right? All of those scholars, why were they so amazed? Well, because hundreds and hundreds of years before, Isaiah was like giving a clear description of Jesus and all the stuff the Messiah was going to go through. And then it happened. And so, of course, scholars nowadays, early, you know, later scholars are like, well, that couldn't have happened that way. And then we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so there's really no argument. And so they've just got to come to grips with the fact that like, yeah, God actually wrote this. And he wrote it through a man that maybe didn't even fully grasp everything that Isaiah was writing, but he wrote it anyway. And it's the same with Ezekiel. We're going to read some, some pretty insane stuff that Ezekiel did. So I kind of get where they're coming from, but don't we see so often with prophets that they're a little quirky? They're a little weird, right? I mean, it's just kind of the norm. And I don't know if y'all have ever been around people that have the gift of prophecy nowadays, but I've been around people that are like, come up. And I mean, I had a lady one time that walked over to me and she was just like, listen, brother, you're supposed to do this and this and this. The Lord told me to tell you that. And I'd be like, do you even know what, how did you know that? And she's like, I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Lord told me. And I'm like, okay, like (laughs) you don't know what to do with that kind of stuff, but it happens. It happens now. And back then it happened a lot. So let's just read it with the knowledge that God's word is God's word. And he actually did speak and do the things that Ezekiel said he did. We got to come at it from that perspective. So like I've said, Ezekiel, Daniel was in the city of Babylon at this point, already established, right? Well-known kind of thing. Like he, he, he was in leadership. He was doing his thing there. Ezekiel comes in and he's at least a couple hundred miles away from the city of Babylon near this river which is actually kind of a canal called Chebar. And another person that's actually on the scene right now, and if you guys notice, we have kind of in the books of the Bible, we have Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, kind of all clumped together. That's awesome. One thing I want to encourage you in, though, is don't just assume that, oh, then that means every book in the Bible is chronological. That's not true. But this little set of books sort of is. They're all happening at the same time. And so we have Daniel already there, already doing his thing. He's going to be writing his book. We have Jeremiah, who's actually where? Still back in Judah. You guys remember. Like he stayed back there. He was like there. He was kept telling him, telling him, telling him, right? And so he's there. But then Ezekiel gets sent away. And so he's in exile. What else do we know about Ezekiel? Well, we're going to read all this stuff in in the first three verses, but he was a priest. Ezekiel was a priest. If you're in exile as a priest, a Jewish priest, guess what you can't do? Your job, (laughs) right? You're nowhere near the temple. Matter of fact, he was like 900 miles away from the temple. So there's no way he's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to take a weekend and fly back and do my job. No, none of that was happening, right? So here's Ezekiel in exile, knowing what he was called to do, knowing, right? Because it's in his blood. It's his lineage. There wasn't a choice in the matter. That was going to be what he does. And yet we see here that interestingly, God actually calls him to prophesy, you guys, in the year that he would have actually begun to serve in the temple. It's awesome. You might even say God knows what he's doing. So God used Ezekiel in this like many important and interesting ways to speak to all of us basically, but just basically he was there and he's talking. God used him to speak to the Jewish people that were in exile about God's plan in the immediate future, but also in the distant future. And honestly, honestly, like he speaks to a lot of things that apply to all of us. And so there's a lot of things that Ezekiel, God used Ezekiel to do. This guy 
that was a priest that didn't think he had a job. Kind of cool. So just to give you guys a breakdown of what we're going to be looking at over the next however many months, chapter 1 through 24 of Ezekiel is basically covering the judgment of Judah that they were already in the process of, right? So he's, he's going to speak to the things kind of that they're already in the process of, but then also speak even further ahead, right? Because we know they're in Babylon for how many years? 70, right? They were in Babylon for 70 years. And so he's going to speak to all that stuff. So Ezekiel is kind of a weird guy in a little bit too that God would tell him to act things out instead of speaking them out. And so we're going to read some things in the next couple weeks that I'm just going to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. I don't know why God was like, here, lay on your side. You know, here, cook over feces. Like, here, build a city and then knock it down. <laughs> like, it's just kind of crazy some of the stuff God told him to do, but he did it. The only thing I came across and that makes a lot of sense to me, though, is that God may have been doing it this way just because, guess what? He had already been speaking through Daniel. He had already been speaking through Jeremiah. He had been speaking through so many prophets for how many years prior, telling Judah, telling them all, like, man, you guys, you're messing up. you got to come back to God. And they weren't listening. And so maybe in his mind, he was like, well, let me show them. Let me do something different. So we see that Ezekiel does some crazy stuff. Chapter 25 through 32 deals with the judgment on the Gentile nations. So when we get there, you'll kind of see a shift, and it's a really distinct shift. Chapter 33 through 48 is God pronouncing blessing on Israel, which is cool. Because here he spends the first 24 chapters being like, you guys stink, and this is why, and this is what the plan is because you guys messed up, right? But we know that that's not God's heart. God wants to restore. God wants to bring back those that are lost, right? God wants to grab hold of people's hearts and say like, look, man, yes, you're messing up. And yes, there's consequence, but I love you and I want to bring you back to me. That's what he tells us all the time. And he's no different with Israel. So there's 33 through 48, it's blessing on Israel. And then 40 through 48 finishes out the book talking about basically like a new order for Israel. And so when we get there, you guys are, we're going to talk about these breakdowns, but There's a lot of really cool stuff ahead of us. Another thing I want us to understand is that we have some serious timestamps in this book that help us a ton. Because you guys got to understand when we go through God's word, there's a lot of times where, right? Like who's the author of Hebrews? I mean, I have my opinion, but we don't really know. Why? Because the guy never wrote his name down, right? Paul, I'm just kidding, right? So there's the people that think it was Paul. Some people think it was, you know, all different people. So like there's a couple front runners. But the point is, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Well, it's the same thing with timestamps in the Old Testament. Sometimes they're like, man, generally it could have been from here to here, right? We don't really know. But Ezekiel is a great book for the fact that he wrote down very specific days. And so we know that 605 BC, or around there, there's some debate there. So don't, don't take these as absolute gospel. But 605 BC is generally accepted as the time that Daniel was taken to Babylon in the first wave of the defeat in Judah. So they were kind of like under siege, man. They were just that way for years. It took a while for all of this to be finally done. And then in 597 BC, Ezekiel, who was probably 25 to 26 years old at the time and was married, we're going to learn that later, he goes along and gets taken in the second wave. And I don't know if y'all remember much about the whole like study through and looking at like Babylon and what they did and how they went about things. They're kind of genius, right? Because they went in and instead of just like wiping an entire nation out, they're like, who's the smarties here? Who's the people that can add some value to us as a culture? And they just took them. 
right? So it'd be like, as a church, it'd be like going us, us, (laughs) this sounds really bad. Lord, is this what I should say? Yeah, I'll say it. So it'd be like us going into every other church around here and being like, who's the great worship leaders? All right, we're taking you guys and we're taking this. You know, we need some maintenance people, so let's take them. And right, like that's kind of what Babylon did. They went in and just took what they kind of wanted or needed from other nations, right? And so it's kind of a crazy way of doing things. The last timestamp that we have is the day, the day, not the year, not the month, the day that Ezekiel received his first vision. You know how awesome that is? July 31st, 593 BC is what that all equals out to. Ezekiel has his vision. And at this point, you guys, he's 30 years old. 30 years old. So let's read chapter one, verse one, the first three verses. Let's read it together, you guys. It says this. Now it came to pass in the 30th year In the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Ezekiel remembers the exact time that he was confronted by the reality of everything that he had previously discussed or previously like studied, right? He was a priest. What was the priest's job? To prepare by the time they got to be 30? Well, one of the things was a lot of them, they memorized the first five books of Torah. Like they just, they, that's, that, was their, that was their life was just knowing scripture and understanding like, man, what is our role and how are we gonna go about it, right? Like that was his entire life. And then he gets taken away. And I want you guys to stop for a second and think about the fact that like, man, what was going through his mind? Think about it from his perspective. Yes, Lord. Yes, we're only a little bit away from doing this. I'm like five years away, Lord, from being in the ministry, doing the thing that I know you've called me to do. And yeah, that's awesome. And then the the Babylon show up. They take Daniel. He's like, okay, Lord, maybe we're still good. I don't know what's happening right now. And then it's five years and he's like taking away himself. And he's like, what's happening right now? What's going on with my life? Nothing looks the way I thought it would. Can you imagine the moment that this happened where he's standing there, going down, praying by the river, doing whatever he was doing with the rest of the captives, and God shows up in a massive way? Can you imagine? The answer is no. (laughs) I don't think we can imagine completely. But you guys, all the theology, all the study of God's word, all of the the knowledge that he had was like in front of him, standing there like talking to him and, and giving him a vision of things that he's like, whoa. Like his mind was probably completely blown. This would have been a very memorable experience. I'm sure when we get to heaven, we could be like, hey man, it was July 31st, what time? And he'd be like, oh dude, it was like 2.30 in the afternoon, 2.30 and 10 seconds, right? Like, (laughs) I think it was one of those things that I'm like, I bet he had a timestamp. I bet he understood. This isn't schizophrenia. This is absolute reality showing up at your doorstep, showing up in front of your face in a way that you could never, ever, ever forget. You guys, what was his emotional connection to that moment from the perspective, like I was saying? Completely distraught guy. Can't do his job. 
the one job that he had been training his whole life to do, the thing that he knew he had the privilege that only, right, Levites had the privilege to do. He knew he was going to get to do that. And then he gets taken away. And there's nothing he can do about it. There's no way to get around that. Well, how do we know that 30 was this magic year? You guys know where that's at? Let's flip over to Numbers chapter 4. Real quick. I never want you guys to think that these are just random things in the Bible. I want to go and show you. Numbers chapter 4 is how we know that 30 was the magic year for a priest to take over. That we knew that like that was when they started their work. Numbers chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50, year old, 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. You guys, there is a timestamp here for him that is amazing because right whenever he turns 30, that's why he said right in the beginning where he says, now it came to pass in the 30th year, most scholars believe, and I believe as well, that he's talking about his own life. In my 30th year, this is when this happened. Why would that matter? Well, to a priest, it would matter greatly. To a priest in exile, it would matter even more because God wasn't done with him. You guys, here at the probably one of the lowest point, points in Ezekiel's life, God shows up. And I think there's a lot of meat here for us to chew on. Isn't there? Because the reality is, you guys, God is always with us. So when we say things like God showed up or God fell on this, you know, the Holy Spirit fell, well, it's kind of an oxymoronic statement, isn't it? Because the Holy Spirit resides in each Christian. So, he, I mean, what's he doing? I mean, how's that work? I don't get it. Did you fall? Because, you know, he's in you. Like, what does that mean? So like, but, but we all get the idea of it, right? Tonight during worship, that sweetness of the Spirit that's just like, man, it's beautiful. It's amazing, but I want to say something. God is always with us, but do we always feel him? No, we don't. And I want us to think for a second, because how often as Christians do we get to a place where we're like, God, I've been stuck in this stupid job that I hate for all of two weeks. It's driving me nuts. When's it going to end, Lord, please? Right? Or something more serious. God, my spouse has been sick for years. You have not taken away these migraines. You've not taken away this sickness in somebody's body. Lord, my family is, is just wrecked and you, it just doesn't seem like things are getting fixed, Lord. There's real things that we bring to the Lord, aren't we? Isn't there? Real things. And some garbage ones like, man, we really don't like our boss after two weeks or something crazy, right? All that stuff's true too. But the reality is, you guys, there's something special about our walk with the Lord when we're at our weakest. I think whenever we have it all kind of going and everything's smooth sailing and it's good, we're like sweet, the surfing's good, we're good, everything's kosher, we're all sweet and good, that's when typically we're like, man, God is with us, God is good, yeah, it's awesome. And it's like, man... But I feel like, man, when we get into a bad place or when something is not going the way we want it to, there's a sweetness in our relationship with the Lord when we get to a place where we're like, I'm wrecked. I am completely broken. And God, I need you to talk to me. I need you. I need you. And the fact is, is we never needed him less at the other times. But I think we lose sight of it pretty quickly, don't we? 
You guys, how often do we read in scriptures at those times when people were at the complete bottom of themselves that God comes in and comforts, that God comes in and gives direction, strengthens those people, speaks tenderly to them. One major example as I was studying this week was Elijah. I don't know if you guys remember, flip over with me to 1 Kings. We're going to read that real quick. 1 Kings chapter 19. This is right after the battle of the gods, right? Mount Carmel, he's up there and he, he's like telling the, the prophets of Baal, right? He's like telling them like, man, cut yourselves and maybe, you're, maybe Baal's at the bathroom. Maybe that's why he's not answered. And he says like all these kind of like pretty funny things. But um, you guys know that, right? That he actually told the prophets of Baal, like, you know, maybe, maybe he had to go to the bathroom and maybe that's why he's not answering you. I think that's awesome. I'm like, burn, that's awesome. But Elijah, right after that, Right after that, he gets chased and he goes out and he's like, I just kill me now. Like it's all over. So let's read that. First Kings 19, starting in verse one, we're going to read 18 verses here. You ready? It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, is, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And when he, and he went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in a mantle, in his mantle, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, silenced their cell phones, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, at Abel Mehola. I love these words. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. 
It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You guys, that's a lot of reading, but listen, I wanna, I wanna say this and I wanna kind of bring it back to Ezekiel. Here is Ezekiel at the low point of his life. And God chooses at this point, five years in to his captivity, at this point to say something to him and not just something, a huge something, right? It's amazing. But you guys, God came to Elijah in the moment that he needed it. Notice that it wasn't right at the broom tree. But I mean, it's pretty amazing because to me, I'm like, man, you look at that and you're like, man, Elijah was taken care of by an angel of the Lord, which some could say Jesus, right? Like, man, it's crazy to think like this all was happening. Why? Because God loved Elijah so much. He's like, you're not going to have enough energy to make it through 40 days and 40 nights. So let me hook you up with some food that you didn't have to make because I made it for you. Here you go. It's pretty amazing. And yet that wasn't the thing that got Elijah's attention. It was the still small voice from the Lord. And I think for Ezekiel, it's a similar thing where he was faith five years, possibly for years. Have you lost hope that God will answer you? He will. And I want to run something by all of us, you guys. As a believer in the Lord, we have the ultimate answer. So if we're stuck with migraines for the rest of our lives, they're not going to be in heaven. If we're stuck with things going on in our lives that we're like, oh Lord, would you please fix this? Would you please fix this? Would you? Look, I know a kid. I've told you guys, some of you guys this story before. I knew a kid that prayed every day. He was in a wheelchair from the time he was born. He prayed every day like, Lord, let me walk. Lord, let me walk. Lord, let me walk. Lord, let me walk. And I had the privilege of standing there when he just stood up and started walking. It was awesome to see that. But guess what God could have also done? He could have prayed every day for the rest of his life. And guess what he would have walked? In heaven. God just saw fit to do it early. Do you understand? And I feel like sometimes, you guys, we get so wrapped around the axle, especially as Americans, we want God to act like a McDonald's and just give us what we want right now. And if it's not fast enough, we don't like it. And I got to say two things. Number one, who the heck do we think we are? But maybe more on the gracious side of things, who do we think God is? God will answer you at the very moment you need answered. God loves you enough that he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not up there not paying attention to you. He's not up there being like, oh, I forgot about him. Oh, yeah, maybe I need to help him out, hook him up. I know he's been praying for quite a while. That's not the way God is. He's in the midst of every prayer. He's in the midst of every heartache. He was in the midst with Ezekiel for all five years waiting. And yet he chose at that point to answer. Can we trust the Lord? You guys, another thing I want to point out that I find so amazing about this whole thing with Ezekiel is, and what we see throughout scripture, is that God can do all sorts of signs and wonders. God can blow our mind in so many ways. And yet, do you ever notice the whole way through scripture and with Ezekiel too, it's the fact that God spoke to him that mattered most. Like he's going to talk about the vision, but I promise you, and I've, you know, as we read through Ezekiel, you're going to come across so many times when he's like, you know, he said it, I think 50 times in the whole book, in the 48 chapters, he says, 
that the Lord, the word of the Lord came expressly to me. The word of the Lord came expressly to me. And you get this sense throughout the entire book that that's the thing that amazed him the most. That's the thing that he wanted to hold on to and grab hold of the deepest and the most. And when you look throughout scripture, think about it. Moses, Moses, the burning bush, how awesome is that? And yet, what was the thing? What was the big takeaway? The direction God gave through it. Yes, the burning bush was amazing, but that wasn't the thing that really drew him. And then we see all the miracles that happened in, in Egypt, right? The water turned to blood and frogs showed up and the angel, and that's all cool. But then what happens when he's up there with the Ten Commandments? What's he say to God? Like, show me who you are. I want to see your glory, right? Why? Because miracles are cool. Miracles are great. God can do all those things. We've seen some of these things happen, right? God does miracles. That's awesome. But can I tell you something? The most miraculous and amazing thing is, is that we get to talk to God, that we get to hear from the Lord directly through his word, through each other, right? Through sitting under God's word and learning and growing in it and through just sitting by yourself, hearing the still small voices he speaks to you as you read in the word in the morning or at night. That's the most amazing thing. That's the most amazing gift. Can I tell you guys something? Let's get to the bottom of ourselves. Let's realize that, man, God has given us everything we need. And when we're going to God with those big questions and with those big asks, don't ever stop asking. God's word tells us, don't ever stop asking, seeking, knocking, keep going. Don't ever stop. But in the process of that, you guys, be ready for God to bring comfort to you. Be ready for God to strengthen you in the midst of your issues. Be ready for God to direct you and to speak tenderly to you. Don't ever lose sight of that. Verse four. Ezekiel says this. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. So this is the beginning of the vision that God gave to Ezekiel as he stood there by the river Chabar. And I want to I say the reason we're stopping here tonight is because next week we're going to get into a huge chunk about the cherubim and all that stuff. And I, don't wanna, I just don't want to get into that because there's just too much there. and We're not going to have any time for that. Unless you guys want to be here until midnight. But this is where we're going to end tonight. So this message might be a little short. But the truth is, you guys, I just want to talk about this one verse, this very beginning part. A whirlwind basically means a storm. That's kind of what we're talking about here. And storms typically were used to represent divine judgment. And since it was coming from the north, guess what was north of Judah? Babylon. So it's kind of a clear picture that God is giving that like, man, a whirlwind's coming out of the north, a great cloud of raging fire. And he's showing Ezekiel this, but you guys, God was showing Ezekiel that God was going to, that God was already in the process of using Babylon in the north to chasten Judah in the south. We see similar references about Babylon, not the storm so much. But if you guys want to flip over with me, this is the last time we're going to be flipping around. You ready? Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 14. Jeremiah prophesied this. He said, Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. Notice that. God called them to come down. 
They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They're going to have a siege against all its walls all around and against the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods and worshiped the work of their own hands. So here's Jeremiah a contemporary of Ezekiel, saying basically the same thing. And we see all throughout the Old Testament, different places. Isaiah used this idea of a whirlwind or a storm to kind of talk about how God was bringing divine judgment in an area. But what do we see here? We see raging fire engulfing itself. The storm of raging fire engulfing itself speaks of holiness, speaks of God's holiness, right? How often do we read about the, you know, the consuming fire, the all-consuming fire of God? And so what's being said here? What's Ezekiel saying? It's kind of mind-blowing. He's saying like, hey, y'all that are here with me in in Babylonia, yeah, God actually did this to us. This wasn't a fluke. This wasn't by accident. God didn't somehow magically lose his power when we were back home and this was just happening to us because their gods were more powerful. No. What Ezekiel is saying is like, man, God did this for a very specific purpose to teach us a lesson. You guys, it's pretty intense. I want to say this too. God was showing Ezekiel a much larger picture of what was going on than the tiny reality of this young priest that couldn't fulfill his duties in the temple. God was like giving him this massive scale picture, right? This huge bird's eye view of like, yep, this is why this is happening. This is what's going on. This is the reality of the situation. But the truth is, you guys, this should never fill us with dread or lack. Because why? If God is showing up and showing us things, if God is here telling Ezekiel, this is why I'm doing this. Do you get that we serve a loving and gracious God? If he's willing to tell us that, then that means there's going to be an end to this. Does that make sense? Far, far too often you talk to fellow believers and they're like, man, I'm in the midst of this thing and this thing is going on and I just feel like God has me here for this season and they just feel so beat down and bedraggled. And I don't know how many times I've said to other believers that I'm like, man, if God has told you that you're here for a reason, you're sad, man. That's awesome. You know, because if God's telling you then, then that means that he's directing you and guiding you and you're gonna be walking out of this at some point. There's always peaks and valleys. There's always peaks and valleys. Don't believe the lie of the health and wealth gospel that, man, if you're not on top, you're sinning and you're a loser. No, quite the opposite. God uses valleys to teach us, to get us to the bottom of ourselves so he can come and speak words of truth to us that we might not otherwise hear. And so this is a good thing. It should give us hope. Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, says, these things I have spoken to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will not might, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, you guys. Here he is speaking to Ezekiel and saying like, look, I'm going to show you things. I'm going to have you do things. I'm going to have this massive impact through your life. But like even that in and of itself, you guys, should be a sign of hope. And so for us, you guys, whenever we're walking with the Lord and maybe we feel dry as a cracker, can I tell you, when you get that first drop of water from God's word, When that person comes up to you here, I pray here at our church that we are that congregation that's going to one another and speaking truth and love to one another. When you get those things, can I encourage you? Don't 
sit in your despair, but look at it and be like, man, God, thank you. Thank you for the hope you're providing even in the midst of bad situations. It's an awesome thing when we really learn to trust our God even more and more and more. There's never a time we should look at our circumstances or our situations and lose hope in the expectation of what God's going to do. God never stops working in the life of a believer. You guys know Philippians 1, 6, right? Be confident of this very thing that, this is Paul speaking, he said, I'm being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You're a work in progress and you always will be. If you've been stuck in a really bad thing or some health issue or something's happening in your life, you guys, he's not done working with you. He's just not done. I take that promise and I I hold on to it for dear life sometimes because I'm like, man, Lord, I know how long I keep bringing up migraines. My wife has had migraines for 21 days straight sometimes. You guys know the situation with with grace and just how bad our migraines can get sometimes and, and how much and how long we've prayed and prayed and prayed and we've had churches lay hands on and we've done the oil, we've done everything. We've asked God, would you take this away? And he hasn't. And I'd be a liar if I sat up here and said like, man, but yet I had hope and faith and trust in God the whole time. No, there have been times when I'm like, Lord, what the heck are you doing? I'd be a liar if I didn't say, but man, when I read this stuff and when I look at this stuff, I'm like, oh God, you're gonna complete the work. And if, if the relief is heaven, well, so be it. I trust you, Lord. So you guys, I know we barely dipped our toes in this book tonight. But I want to encourage all of you that are here tonight to read ahead, at least the first chapter, all right? Read ahead, and then you guys can come up here and teach, and I'll sit down. <laughs> I do want to encourage you to read ahead. I want you to read ahead and look, because we're going to look at the, the, the examining kind of the cherubim, and just some questions that you can ask yourself and go dig around if you want, and I would encourage you to do this. Where else in Scripture do you find the cherubim? They're all throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament, so we're going to talk about a lot of that. What are they all about? What's the point of the cherubim? We're going to do our best to try to like look at some of these things. Why are they so freaky looking? We don't know that answer. <laughs> we'll figure that one out when we get to heaven. I don't know, man. When y'all read like the whole uh, idea of the cherubim and the four faces and the just, it's like, what is happening, Lord? What, what was going through your mind when that creation was created? It's crazy. I also want to ask you guys this. I want to encourage you to pray and ask God that God would give us all wisdom. And I want to ask for your prayer. I covet your prayers. You guys know this, not just through this book, but honestly, you guys, I am terrified of this book. I was talking to a brother, Pastor Dean, uh, who's in um, Manchester now. And I was talking to him last night. I had dinner with him and I was, he was like, so what are you doing on Wednesday nights, man? He's like, I know you just finished Judges. And I'm like, man, I... I felt like the Lord wanted me to go to Ezekiel. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I am terrified. And he's like, that's a good, you know, good place to be because this book is crazy. It's hard. It's a difficult book. And I don't know of any pastor I've ever met that doesn't say like, man, this book is hard, right? And so, man, would you guys pray for me? Would we as a church just come together and be like, Lord, would you show us the things that you want to speak to us and show us out of this book? And give us the humility to admit that there might be some things in here that I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. Like, here's what this scholar thinks and this scholar, but I, I don't even know, right? You guys, tonight, let's remember and keep chewing on the fact that just because our lives don't look just like we think they should or that they, we thought they would, it doesn't mean that God isn't in the midst and moving. 
Just because Ezekiel wasn't getting to do the work he thought he was born to do doesn't mean that God wasn't actually in the process of preparing and placing him right where he wanted him to be to use him in a way that he never could have saw ever or never even thought or contemplated before he left Judah. And for the whole five years he was in Babylonia, right? And yet God showed up and used him in an amazing way. Guys, God wants to do the same things to us. Also, if you're seeking God and you want to hear his voice, can I encourage you? You're never any further away from him than a breath. Open your mouth and speak. He's listening. He's there with you. He's always with every believing heart, every Christian. He is with you. But there's also, you guys, the specialness. Not that I'm saying like, man, Lord, just wreck me every day, Father, because I want that specialness with you. But can I say this? If God has you in a season where you are being wrecked, take heart. Take heart that God is is intimately aware of your situation and wants to intimately, lovingly speak to you in a way that you may not have been able to hear otherwise. That's an awesome, encouraging thing, isn't it? Let's never see ourselves more highly than we ought. I think that's kind of a good thing to just keep in mind for everything. But the reality is, you guys, often, in my opinion, and from what I observe is, when we look around and we, we start being like, man, God's not answering me, and God's not this, and God's not that, I think a lot of times it's because there's a level of pride in our own hearts that we're like, this doesn't look like I thought it would. And I, man, I know God's God and I'm not, but man, I have my plan made, right? And we forget the verse that says, like, man, man makes his plans, but God directs his steps, right? Like, it's God's job to figure out where you're supposed to be. And if it doesn't look like you thought it would, man, can you kill your pride for a second and realize that God has you just where he wants you? And there's a specialness to that. And so don't think more highly of yourself than you should. God's not going to forsake you. He loves you. He will accomplish the work, you guys, in your lives that he's already ordained for you. And all we need to do is just keep asking, God, what do you got? What do you got next, Lord? Oh, Lord, this didn't go the way I thought. And now I'm here whenever I didn't. Listen, you guys know the story with me. I was in the Air Force for 15 years. And I'm like, God called me at year 13 to be a pastor. And I'm like, sweet God, I've only got a few more years and I'll be done and retired and I'll do whatever you want. And by the way, God, I really want to go to like Europe or somewhere like that and just live on my retirement and do what I want, God, and just do it this way. And I obviously had no clue what I was talking about. But the truth is, is that I got in a motorcycle accident like a year and a half later that broke my back and blew my knee and everything. And so my career was over. I had five years left and it's over. It's done. It was a low point for me. And yet that's when God spoke so clearly and said, you're moving to New Hampshire. You're moving from Idaho to New Hampshire and you're going to help do this. This is the way this is going to look. I am so thankful that things didn't go the way I thought they would. I am so thankful that I wasn't so prideful and arrogant that I didn't look at all the stuff I had and be like, yeah, but God, I'm really stoked about the house I got and our yard is finally, finally clean after thousands of dollars of true green. God, our, man, we're like, we're stoked. Everything's right now, God. And you're telling me to leave at the bottom of a housing market? Are you for real? And he's like, yeah, I'm for real. Leave. Man, I'm so stoked I did. God is so faithful. God is so faithful. You guys, trust him. Walk with him. 
Walk in his strength. Listen to his still small voice that still wants to comfort you and strengthen you and direct you and speak tenderly to you. And don't let your circumstances affect that conversation that you're having with God. Amen? Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.